Well, tonight what we're doing is we're starting in on a new phase in the this concept of the joy of journaling. I didn't bring the chart, I didn't put the chart into my presentation tonight, but let me just give it to you in broad terms so that you're thinking this way, that every time you open your Bible, literally every time you open your Bible, here's what you know is already there. You know that there is this pattern, if you will, or there is this idea. And if you start looking for it, you can begin to see it that the Bible is going to give you doctrine or teaching, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, doctrine, and it's going to tell you there what is right. And with equal clarity, it is going to give you reproof. It's going to show you here's what is wrong. I mean, the Lord in his glory is right. Here is his character. Here is his nature. This is what he has said is right about creation and the way he made it. And what did mankind do in his rebellion? He followed after Satan, and now what the Word of God is doing to us, it's ministering to us, and it's showing us exactly what is wrong. I encourage you this year, as you're reading through your Bible, and I hope that you are reading, there's a Bible schedule out there to do that, that you'll think, you'll have that in the back of your mind as you read, what is it that that I'm supposed to apprehend or grasp here that is, is right and in contrast, what is it that's probably right there in the same passage that is wrong? We did this for a, oh, a missions conference several years ago, and I was bringing this concept forward to the missionaries. And I said, okay, look, go anywhere in the Bible you want to go. I mean, just open your Bible. And you could do this right now. I mean, open your Bible to anywhere. And unless you wind up in the genealogies, I'm in trouble on the genealogies there. But unless you wind up in the genealogies, here's what the word of God that you hold in your hand, here's what it conveys to you. It conveys to you something about the God of the word. It tells you something about his nature, something about his his character, his attributes, we often refer to it as. And it's going to show you either his nature or his work, and we demonstrated this on Sunday, that you can look at his work and see his nature. You can understand what he does in bringing judgment and understand that he is a God of justice, that if you will open up your Bible that way and you'll just start looking and just start saying, okay, Lord, show me who you are today. A good friend of mine said, uh, here's a great way to, to take your Bible is to say, this is a, this is a collection of love letters I hear uh, that I have here. And so Lord, uh, I'm going to pray right now and say, Lord, Show me that you love me today. That's a great way to read your Bible, you know, in the very same way of open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And if you will take a passage that's large enough, sometimes, by the way, it's right there in the very same verse. I mean, sometimes the verse, and there's some verses in Proverbs and other places like that where it's all crystal clear right there. Here's what is right, and with equal clarity, here's what is wrong. But it's this, this is a wonderful aspect of God's grace. He doesn't leave us at the wrong. He doesn't say, and by the way, you're wrong, you know, period or exclamation mark, end of conversation. Oh, no, no, no. The Lord doesn't leave us there. What he then goes on to show us is how to take what is wrong and make it right. That's why 2 Timothy 3 says doctrine or teaching, reproof, and correction. What I want to show you tonight fits right into this little curve here between what's wrong and and, uh, how to make it right. 
I believe it could extend over, and I'll show you why I say that here in just a moment. But at the very least, what you have is this very powerful, let's call it a, a generator, a, a very powerful source of energy that when you know something is wrong, okay, let, let's say that you are wrestling with something that is wrong in your own life, or you can see with absolute clarity there's something wrong in somebody else's life, but you're thinking, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know, what do I do now? I mean, I, I can see that it's wrong. How is it that we together, or how is it that I and, and they together, how can we make it right? Right in that curve right there, that's where so many of the promises of God show up. I know I've illustrated it this way many times, but it's one of the most transforming for me in all the Word of God. Go back and look at Proverbs chapter 1 when the Lord says, Turn at my reproof. Okay, here's reproof, and he says, Turn at my reproof. And here's what he says He says, I will pour out my spirit unto you. Wow, I mean, just think about what that would mean to have the free-flowing movement of God's Spirit in a situation. But it all comes down to that willingness to turn. And sometimes that's called, it's, it's, um, it's translated as turn, it's translated as come to the Lord, uh, call upon the name of the Lord, restore, uh, renew. Uh, there's a couple other ways it's translated. I have to think about what they are uh, here just for a moment. But the idea is basically turn back to the Lord. And if we, if we took this, and I'll, what I'm, I'm working on for, uh, I'm actually working on a leadership conference. Uh, gentlemen, all of you would be invited to this if you would like to go. It's a leadership conference for men a week from this coming Saturday, I guess it is. But from that, what I'm going to do is bring back to all of you on a Wednesday night, I'm going to bring uh, a little idea we have about these journals that we have been showing you. And if I took what I just said a moment ago, you know that it's good for doctrine, that's teaching, reproof, that's what's right, that's what's wrong, correction is how to make it right, instruction and in righteousness is how to keep it right. And as I say, the promises of God really fit very neatly, and you will often find that the Lord is saying, come on, come on, I mean, look, if you, if you will do this, I promise that I will, and you can see how he's bringing you right out the place of correction, and then right on around to instruction and righteousness. So with that in mind, let's go over tonight, shall we, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, as you can see on the screen, I know that many of you know your Bibles well enough to know that that's, that's a phrase right out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And think of it this way. There's a reason it's really big on the screen. These are exceedingly great and precious promises. You say, it sounds like they're pretty good. Oh, they're more than pretty good. They are exceedingly great and precious promises. So let's notice what it says there in beginning with verse 3. According, and so the verse right before that talks about the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Okay, Think about anything you went through today, any experience, any, any incident, anything that you read, anything where you drove, anything, and, and ask yourself the question, does that fit under the umbrella of life? Okay, here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life. <laughs> what, wait, what does all things mean? Anybody? What do you, what do you think all things mean? It means all things. All things that pertain to life. And you say, well, maybe it's just talking about like physical human life. No. All things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, he's talking about spiritual life. And this is what his divine power has given us. Okay, he, he has given us these things. And it says, pertains unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who or that has called us to glory and virtue. Okay, look, it's one thing to say tonight, okay, okay, I, I really want to I, I really want this divine power and, um, and and I'm not exactly sure I'm going to use it but I want this divine power that has all things that pertain to life yeah I mean I could really use the energy I could really use the power and godliness oh yeah yeah and that's important too you know don't want don't want to forget that part of it but if you just look at it that way you're missing the dynamic because here's what it says he has called us. He has, he has reached out and called us. He has apprehended us, is the word that the Apostle Paul has translated in uh, Philippians 3 there, that we might apprehend that for which we are apprehended of Christ. He has called us. And what's he called us to? Glory and virtue. Virtue there is the word that means moral excellence. We are, we are called to this. Yeah, but Lord, but Lord, how are we ever going to get there? I mean, I know you've called us to glory and virtue, but how, how are we ever going to get there? Answer, his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he says, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Okay, quick quiz. Uh, let's say tonight that uh, we, we say, you know, we have a little problem here in the auditorium and uh, we, there's some things that are on the floor, uh, some some. Uh, papers or a little, let's say confetti, something like that, and we need to vacuum up what's on the floor. Okay. Uh, somebody says, what do we need here? Well, we need a vacuum cleaner. Let's go get a vacuum cleaner. Okay. And then somebody says, okay, we need to, we need to power up this vacuum cleaner. It's not battery powered. We need to power this up. And you're going to say to them, well, yeah, I mean, just, you know, right there in the wall. See, and they're going to, no, I see a wall. What, what, what are you talking about? We look at the thing right down there. I mean, you know, where you can see. You say, what do you, what do you, what do you? I mean, and just imagine, <laughs> imagine if you were trying to explain this to somebody who'd never seen electricity work and somebody who'd never, you know, really known a vacuum cleaner before. Imagine how they would jump when you plugged it in and, and kind of turned it on. Okay, the reason I give you that corny illustration is this. Notice in the next verse, whereby are given unto us. It's given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And that, notice the next word there. That by these, what's the these? It's the promises. That by these, you might be partakers of the divine nature. Okay, hold, stop right there. In what sense are Christians, believers, are we partakers of the divine nature? I mean, 
How does that work? I mean, do we get omniscience? Are we all-knowing? You know, eh, no. We're uh, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, eternal in the sense that we always was, we always were, and always will be. No, and, and immutable in the sense of unchangeable. No. So in none of those ways, we're not saying like Satan, I will be like the Most High. Remember Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. It's not, it's not like, you know, I get to be like the Most High, but in some sense we are partakers of the divine nature. What's the number one way you're thinking about that? That if we are partakers of the divine nature, what's the first, and there's more than one, by the way, What's the first application that comes to your mind? Yes, ma'am, Carol. The Holy Spirit. God has promised you that you will be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Let them sink in. That the Holy Spirit he has given to us. And by the way, we can... If we don't grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful application of how we are partakers of the divine nature. You say, are there others? Sure. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is, anybody, first one? Love. What's next? Joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, gentleness, Meekness, and, and all those are, are characteristics of God. You say, is meekness characteristic of God? What did Jesus say about himself? My mother's favorite verses in Matthew chapter 11. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay, how do we take advantage of the divine power Spoken of in verse 3. Okay, let me just ask the question this way. Have you ever been frustrated by the fact that you knew what was right? You, you knew the right thing to do, and you were sure you knew. You, you could even quote a verse about it. I, I know that I know that this is the right thing to do. But you did not feel as if you had the power to do it. I would like to testify to you that I believe that has been one of the greatest frustrations in my Christian life at times. I remember answering that question, a young person, teenager, when I was in North Carolina, asked me that question. He said, what, what do you think your biggest spiritual problem is? I said, know what to do. Don't feel like I have the power to do it. And by the way, I think the Apostle Paul wrestled with the same thing. That which I would, I do not. That which I would not, that I do. And here's Peter, and what he's telling us is, okay, here's how we go about this. That that divine power in the first phrase there in verse 3 is accessible to us. It is available to us. Okay, how do we plug this thing into the wall? I mean, it, obviously, we're not talking about a vacuum cleaner and a wall. How, how, do we, how do we plug in, shall we say, our Christian lives so that we can partake of this divine power that gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, What's the plug-in in verse 4? What's the plug-in? What is it? 
Look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. What's the plug-in? It's the promises of God. Question. If you were pressed, how many promises of God could you quote at this moment? That you can bring them to mind. You say, get me started. Okay, I get it. I mean, <laughs> if somebody would start me, I could I could probably finish them. But how many of them can you quote because they are readily accessible? They are they are readily available. For you to use because all of life and godliness is at stake here that if we have divine power that pertains to all things that pertain to life and godliness wow we we better know God's promises in fact wouldn't it be that whatever the sin problem is that we are wrestling with isn't that somehow connected to the fact that we don't know the promises that pertain to that? You see what I'm driving at there? You say, well, if, if that were the case, then I would really want to know God's promises. In fact, I wouldn't just want to know them. I'd, I'd want to use them. I'd, I want to plug them in. Um, when I was a young Christian, I remember just wrestling with various sins and, and and telling the Lord, okay, Lord, if you'll, if you'll forgive me this time, I'm going to confess to you, if you'll forgive me this time, I promise I'll never, ever, 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 ever do that again. I promise. If you just forgive me this once, I got it from here. You know, I promise I'll never do it again. How long did that last? You, you know from experience, don't you? That didn't last very long. I think I told you this. I remember... Uh, I'm almost positive it was when I was confirmed when I was 12 years old. I can still see us sitting there and we're taking confirmation and, you know, took, took the elements. And I remember thinking when I took the juice, okay, now I'm clean. Now I'm ready to go to heaven. And if I could just keep from messing this up anymore, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. How long did that last? It was less than 15 minutes, I'll tell you. And I think it was less than that. So... Look at what he says here in the last phrase. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Question. Why is any believer not escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust? And if you just work right back through the passage, you realize, whoa, he, he or she needs to apprehend to grasp these exceedingly great and precious promises. Why? Because by these, by these promises, you are a partaker of the divine nature. And that's the way you escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Have you noticed how worldly and how sensual our society has become? And, and how, how do we go upstream in a downstream world? I mean, what is this? If we could all stand and sing, standing on the promises of God, I think that's what we do right now. You'd say it's the promises of God. Okay, with that in mind, if, if I have 
successfully tried to create the need to know here tonight, what I'd like to talk about just for a few minutes is some of the most important promises in all the Word of God. One of the most important comes to us in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I'll put it up here on the screen. The Lord said, by the way, to whom was he speaking? He was speaking to Satan. He said, I will put enmity, hostility, if you will, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head. That sounds like a death blow, doesn't it? And thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, it's important to remember he's speaking here to the serpent. Every once in a while, you'll hear somebody say, well, he was talking to Adam right there. He wasn't. He was talking to Satan. You say, well, he's talking to the serpent. How do you know it was Satan? Because if you went over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ, single-mindedness in Christ. So in other words, we, when we get to the New Testament, we know for sure the serp, serpent there was Satan. Okay, how would you and I use such a promise? Now, remember here, what we're trying to do is, last phrase, how do we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust? The world, the flesh, the devil, the whole cosmos system that are, that are trying to take us right on down, down into hell, take us in a very wrong direction. And yet here we have this promise, Genesis 3.15, that someone is going to bruise the head of Satan. Well, here's what you have in this passage. You have the promise of Satan's defeat by the woman's seed. Uh, first message I ever preached. My youth pastor asked me, would you please preach a message? I, pre I preached at the waterfront mission in Pensacola, Florida, super high pulpit. Everybody was like way down here. And during the message, I preached from Genesis 3.15. And I thought, if I can ever get down from here, I'll never try this again as long as I live. <laughs> and at, by the way, at the, uh, at the end of the service, a couple came forward and they wanted to get married. And I said, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And they said, you, you, you preach the message, right? I said, right. And they said, well, then you could perform our wedding right here. And here I am, I think I was 16 or 17. I said, well, let me put it to you this way. I don't want to. <laughs> I just turned and walked away. I couldn't say anything else. This conflict of the ages, that's what my first message was ever entitled, the conflict of the ages that is found here in Genesis chapter 3.15, here's the assurance we have that the seed of the woman, that is, we will discover the son of God, will bruise the head of the serpent. Doesn't that give us comfort tonight? Don't, don't we thank the Lord that we can resist the devil and he will flee from us, that we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? And, and he will he will cast Satan away from us or that he will help us endure his attacks. And so here is the promise of a deliverer or savior. Okay, now here you have your sheet that I uh, put in. I hope they put these in there. That's what you could do. I mean, you could write down, for instance, in the reference section there, write down Genesis 3.15, come back and copy it out later, and, and just think about how would you then apply it? What, what would you do with it? I think I told you this before, uh, we're fishing off the, uh, the bridge on uh, Pensacola Bay, and one, one of my jobs was to put the crab cage down. You, you, put, you cut up the fish, and you, 
you uh, wire it in so the crabs can't steal it, and they have to kind of sit in there and feed on it. And you put the crab cage down, and the, all the things go down, and then when you're ready, you pull it up, and all the doors close, and you come up and here, man, I've got hundreds of keen crabs. And, and they were all, they were terrifying. You know, they got some great big claws out here, and I'm a small kid, and dad, dad used to reach around the back, and you could pick it up by the back, and the claws couldn't get you. And so one time I said, show me how to do that. And so he showed me how to do that. And so here I'm, I'm holding this, I'm holding this crab and he's great big. Dad said, now that you got it, what you gonna do with it? I've never, never forgotten that. Now, I don't know. It was, and dad knew what to do next. He was gonna break the claws off. Okay, now that you have it, now that you have such a promise, what are you gonna do with it? And, and part of it is back to the verses we just looked at, you can say, all right, how does this promise fit into all things that pertain to life and godliness? How could, how could this passage help me to be a partaker of the divine nature and actually have the, the characteristics of the Lord in my life? And most especially, how could it help me to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust? So there would be one. Now I'm going to take that theme of Genesis 3.15, I'm going to carry it forward for you in three passages. Take a look over at Genesis chapter 12. I'll put it on the screen here, verses two and three. The Lord here is speaking to Abraham. Now, you have to wrestle with this sometimes when you're reading in the word of God. Is this promise to you? Is it to a particular person in scripture? Is it to the nation of Israel? And you gotta be careful that you don't just say, well, you know, all these promises, you know, of a land and, and some of the other things. That, that's for me. Uh, careful, you know, watch that. He's speaking to Abraham and he says, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. Okay. All that was given to Abraham. Look what he says in verse three. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. Now, I've underlined it here for you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. If tonight you were born into a family on earth, would you please raise your hand? So that's us, right? He says, all the families on the earth will be blessed. See what he's promising you there? He is promising you something that something, someone is going to come from Abraham. And in Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You ever wonder if the Lord is blessing you? Well, look what he says here. To Abraham, he gives him the promise of a great nation, a blessing. But for us, you're like, yeah, catcher's mitt, please. I mean, blessings. He says here, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. If tonight you want blessing, here would be a great place to start. You say, well, you know, Abraham died a long, long time ago. Was that continued? Well, sure. Next, you see over in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 4, he is speaking to Abraham's son Isaac. And what does he say to Isaac? He says to Isaac, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. Same kind of thing he had said to Abraham. Will give unto thee thy seed all these countries. It says something there about Israel's dominance and about uh, the, the seed of uh, Isaac being dominant among the nations. Here it is again. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. If you are part of a nation tonight, I won't ask you to raise your hand. You say, yep, wait, that's us. All the families, all the nations of the earth be blessed. Look what he's promising here. 
To Isaac, he is saying, multiply descendants and, and certainly leadership of nations. But again, he's reemphasizing that same promise. In you, in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's remarkable. You say, but wait, Isaac also died. Well, what about Jacob? Look what the Lord says to Jacob here in Genesis 28 and verse 14. He tells Jacob, by the way, this is at Bethel. Remember at Bethel, he is basically having to flee from Esau, and it says that he used a rock for a pillow. And that's the night he had the dream of the angels going up and down the ladder, and he woke up and uh, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And the place had been called Luz, uh, L-U-Z, but he renamed it and said, I'm going to call this Bethel, Bethel house of God. And here's what the Lord told him on that occasion. He said, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. There it is again. I didn't underline it this time, but look at the last phrase. And in thee, Jacob, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay. We're part of families. We're part of nations. We're hearing that he's going to bless us, and, and there's blessing. Okay, where's the blessing? How do we take this promise that's being given to us here? How do we take it and say, all right, Lord, help me to understand the nature of this blessing. Is it our prosperity? Is it our money? Is it our, is it our nice houses? Is, is it our cars? Is it our, uh, is our children? Is it our, what is it? And here's where I want you to take your Bibles and go with me over to Acts chapter 3. Would you take your Bible and go over to Acts chapter 3? Because once we get to that New Testament passage, we will see exactly how this was applied. Notice the way it begins in Acts chapter 3. It's uh, Peter and John there in the temple. And uh, they, they healed a uh, lame man. Uh, Peter said in verse 6, Silver and gold have I none, such as I have I give to you. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up. And, and it says in verse 9, All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew it was he who had sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Well, Peter sees all this. He sees what happens here, and Peter says, Here's an opportunity to preach. Look at verse 12. Peter saw it, and he answered unto thy people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Why do you look so earnestly on us, that is, on Peter and John, as if through our own power, by our own power or holiness, we made this man to walk. You see what Peter's doing here. He's basically echoing the words of Paul. We, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Look at the way he begins his sermon, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Does that sound familiar? That's what we just looked at. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son. Servant, some translations have that. Glorified his son, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Remember what we were talking about a minute ago? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine or teaching. That's what's right. 
problems. Look at what's right there in verse 13. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus. What's wrong? Whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One. You see what he's working through there. So notice here the way Peter, I'll put it on the screen in verse 25, he is bringing this out and saying, verse 25, you are the children of the prophets. Yes, I should go down. I'm sorry. Go down to verse 25 there at the very end of the chapter. You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Okay. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, you are, you are children of Abraham. I mean, you're, you're Israelites. You're, you're, you're through the seed here. And, and you remember that the Lord said, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So there's this promise of blessing again here that the Lord's going to bring this out. Blessing for all the families here. And the people are listening to him. He, he's, he's just by God's power. He's just healed this man. And they're all listening to him and saying, okay, okay. How do I, how do I take this power? How do I, how do I take this promise? This is where it really gets interesting. Look at the last verse in verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from his iniquities. Wow. What were the promises for? The last phrase in 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here's how God blessed us. He blessed us in turning every one of us from our iniquities. What a blessing. Not to be in bondage to old slave master sin anymore. He blessed us in turning us from our transgressions, from our iniquities. That is a tremendous biblical principle. The blessing of families and nations it is through God's son, Jesus. That is really the point that Peter is making when he emphasizes that. that here's what God has done. He has sent his son, and, and through his son, you are partakers of the divine nature. And, and through his son, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And through his son, because he blessed us in turning us away from our iniquities, He's blessed us so that we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you gave the promise of Abraham's seed, promising blessing for all of the nations, blessing poor sinners in our greatest need. God of our fathers, you gave us this blessing. Glorify Jesus, your servant and son, blessing us, turning us from our transgressions. Blessed us in sending your Holy One. All of the prophets of old have proclaimed him. All we, like sheep, turned away, and he bled. He is the blessing for all of the nations. Jesus, the Christ, whom God raised from the dead. Though we rejected his son sent to save us, putting to death the dear author of life, we must repent 
and be cleansed by his promise, he grants us power over death to arise. Now in his presence, we know great refreshing. Halfway down through Peter's sermon, he says, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now in his presence, we know great refreshing. Faith in his name brought us forth from the dead. Now we are watching for him as appointed. He will return to us as he has said. One final thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is where it all, to me, comes into sharp focus. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian Christians, he puts it this way. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. Talking about Silvanus and, and uh, Timotheus and Paul. When Jesus Christ was preached to you, was it mm, yes, no, maybe so? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Here's what he said. He said it was not yes and no. It was not yea and nay, but in him was yes. Catch this in verse 20. For all the promises of God. Boy, we got a lot of alls in this message tonight. All the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. For all the promises of God, I put it on there twice. I didn't realize I'd even done it. Put it on there twice. All these precious promises, exceedingly great and precious promises, are ours through the person of Jesus Christ, who blessed us in turning us away from our iniquities. May God be pleased tonight that you and I gain a new, fresh appreciation and a new desire to grasp the promises of God and use them for the glory of God. Shall we pray together? Lord, thank you for helping us tonight understand more about our precious Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise that you gave to Abraham, and thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Thank you for reemphasizing that promise over and over again, even through your servants, the apostles. Now, Lord, tonight, help us to earnestly search for and seek after these exceedingly great and precious promises. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.